Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome back to the Steps to Investing podcast, bringing you the latest market news, company headlines, educational explainers, and expert interviews to help you invest for a better return. I'm Marcus De Silva. And here we are, episode two of season six in January 2023. We are going to look at all sorts of things in the pod today. We're getting markets. So we're going to find out the data that's making the UK one of the hottest markets to own right now. In our explainer, I'm going to tease around which of the 27 investing strategies that we analysed with investing platform AJ Bell that have made you the most money over the past decade. In companies, we're going to shoot through some headlines. We're going to have a little look at Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, all the tech giants there. UK fashion powerhouse Burberry, as well as the delivery company Deliveroo. Before our interview, and this time around, it's an expert trader. And we're going to get his view on what's going on in markets around the globe. Okay, let's start with markets and what we've been chatting about with our friends at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And yeah, interesting stuff. So as you know, I'm sort of going to focus on sort of three broad themes that I'm seeing in markets over the fortnight up to the point we record the pod. And let's start with the UK, actually. Quite a lot of news flow, as they say, around the UK. So GDP figures, so economic growth figures were released for November. And what we saw was that we actually managed to squeeze out a bit of growth of 0.1%, which was a bit of a surprise, considering all the forecasts seem to be pointing to recession and the fact that we really should be in it. So for the moment, that seems to be elusive. We also saw some inflation data for December that showed another consecutive drop in inflation from 10.7% to 10.5%. And not just that sort of headline figure, but also in core inflation. So if we strip out the very volatile prices of energy and food, then we also saw a drop there too. So that's pretty positive. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods. One of the big drivers of inflation has been the sort of log jams that we see in, in, in company supply chains around the world off the back of COVID. So we're still sort of recovering from that. And that, that pain is seen to be continuing. There were some interesting figures about UK car sales, which had dropped to their lowest level since 1956. And that's one of those areas that's particularly been affected by these, these supply chain issues. In other data, we also saw that people in work rose by 27,000 in the three months to November. So that's a positive note regarding the resilience of, of the UK economy. It's less positive for inflation. Lots of people in jobs, they're able to negotiate wages better, which is, is one of those, those key things that does feed into inflation. Nonetheless, it's been broadly pretty positive data. We're seeing markets doing quite well recently it's helped push the FTSE to record highs with investors really it seems fine finally seem to be warming to the UK they it spent ever since Brexit it's really been out in the cold so it seems finally that it's 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 kind of an index that people want you know the fashionable tech stocks really of the US are currently out of favor in the higher interest rate environment and what investors seem to be enjoying is the old economy stocks that the UK has to 
offer so things like commodity and energy stocks you know that's that's been a big part of the price rise as well they're still doing well as china's rampant appetite comes back online uh, following the release the reduction of its covid restrictions also we've seen stocks that that have benefited from a stronger than expected appetite from consumers here in the uk so retail hospitality and travel they all seems to have, have done okay and then also the uk's banks we've got a fair fair slug of financials in the uk index and they have been riding this profitable wave of of higher interest rates as well on to oil and gas so oil has been rising a little bit recently over the past couple of weeks i think traders are thinking about increased demand from china as it comes back online potentially more demand higher demand from the us if it manages to avoid a recession and also because of course we've got these restrictions around supply from russia as well gas on the other hand has been falling this is quite useful in terms of the inflationary picture it feeds heavily into electricity prices in the uk so that's fallen down to levels last seen around September 2021. So for the moment, it seems Europe's energy crisis seems to have been uh, averted. We have been lucky because of this unusually warm winter that, that Europe has had. But also we can see that uh, the, the liquefied natural gas, the LNG storage facilities are are you know on coming online and exports are sort of making their way to europe's shores okay final theme the us really i mean i think there are you know the fears of recession is uh, you know are rising in the us we saw some pretty dour data on manufacturing on on retail activity on business activity all that all that data seemed to slide central banks for the moment are you know, keen to sort of flag that there'll be more interest rate rises, that they're not taking their, their foot off the pedal when it comes to, to tackling inflation. Interestingly, it seems markets don't quite believe them. And whilst, you know, central bank officials are saying, you know, really, we're not going to see any drops in interest rates this year, markets seem to be pricing in that they will fall by the end of the year. To be fair to in, in investors, I think, you know, it, the Fed could just be talking a tough game. It could just be rhetoric because half of of inflation's issue comes from human beings' expectations for inflation in the future. So they're trying to just quell that expectation of inflation, which partly deals with some of the issue. So as a result, we've seen some of those more beaten up, growthier, techier parts of the market rally a little bit as, as those investors hope that, you know, uh, interest rates will lower. But... You know, U.S. market valuations are still not cheap. And by valuations, I mean, if you look at sort of metrics where things like if you compare a company's share price to its profits, that's known as a PE, a price earnings ratio. And then you sort of plot where that ratio sits relative to history. You can kind of get an idea relatively of how expensive a market is. And, and when you look at those sorts of metrics, you see that the U.S. is still not really that cheap. So, uh, you know, at, at the moment, I think what we're seeing in the markets is a bit of a tug of war between those optimists who hope that central bankers will ease off and lower interest rates and the pessimists who, who fear that, that a recession will, 
will have a you know a pretty big impact on company profits and that hasn't been really priced into markets so we're going to see some bigger falls there so yeah just a bit of a sort of a, a to and fro there all in all the FTSE 100 is down a little smidge 0.42% to 7761 points the US S&P 500 is at 1.34% to 4039 points Europe stocks 600 is up 0.84% to 454 points and China Shanghai Composite is up 3.2% to 3264 points. Now, one of the big questions I often get asked is around different investing strategies. Which one is best for your ISA, your SIP, your portfolios in general? And of course, different strategies come with different risks. So, to answer that question, it's kind of dependent pretty much on your personal feelings towards how much risk you want to take. But also the other big question is how far away those financial goals are that you want to achieve. Generally, the further they are away, the more risk that you're able to take. And that's because really the, the litmus test for risk when you're looking at an asset, when you're looking at a particular investment, is how wildly those prices swing around within a certain period. So if you're looking at, let's say, a year, how you know how do those prices if you look back in history how do those prices generally perform if it's swinging from you know 60% gains down to 60% losses then clearly that's quite volatile that's quite a risky asset if it's doing it you know swinging between 6% gains and 6% losses then that's clearly a lot less volatile that's likely to be a safer asset of course there are exceptions 2022 when investors all you know went completely loopy is is when you can see much much wider swings than maybe history would have told you and a good example is in bonds they were meant to be pretty safe and actually they lost an enormous amount relative to what they have done in history nonetheless i would say very broadly shares shares are riskier than bonds smaller companies are riskier than larger companies exotic assets and markets generally riskier than mainstream. But if we just want to have a look at the performance figures and see which would have handed you back the strongest returns, then quite interestingly, AJ Bell have given me some numbers. And within those, they've looked at the performance of 27 investing strategies going back 10 years. That's quite a nice time frame. That's a good long-term view. We would always recommend investing with a long-term view so interesting stuff you know everyone has harped on about technology stock performance over the past 10 years where did those strategies come in the list of 27 they're strategies that just by the winners of the previous 12 months is that a really simple way to make lots of money what about the uk supposedly innovative smaller companies are they producing the goods in terms of returns We've pitted good versus evil, vice versus virtue. In other words, how sin stocks like tobacco and arms have performed against more sustainable strategies that buy companies aiming to do good. For example, those building green infrastructure. Is there a place for virtues in financial markets? There's Warren Buffett. Now, he's the world's, supposedly, the world's greatest investor. Does he earn his stripes? And then there's the big question we all want to know crypto. How has that performed? Well, I'll tell you, 
£10,000 invested in Bitcoin would have handed you back? Well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you in my blog. It's there. It's at stepstoinvesting.com. Please go and give it a read. Uh, I think the numbers that AJ Bell have run are, are, are quite insightful. Okay, let's move on to some key headlines. We're going to start with Apple, the world's largest company. Its CEO, Tim Cook, or Tim Apple, I suppose, if you're a particularly luminously painted former president, has taken a pay cut as generally mega-sized technology stocks perform performed quite badly last year. I think the shares at Apple were down about 22% from their peak. So it's taken Mr. Cook's annual share package. So it's, a normal pay is fine, but share, it, the shares that he gets has gone down to 40 million from 75 million. Microsoft, they have announced big layoffs. This is a bit of a trend in technology as it, as it braces for a tougher trading environment. In particular, they're seeing that customers are sort of waiting off signing for continued cloud services, which is a big part of their business. Also, the, the company wants to hold back some cash as well so they can invest more heavily in artificial intelligence. Burberry. Now, this is, a, you know, the UK's fashion powerhouse, really. Its shares have been doing quite well recently as investors perceive a pickup in the sort of higher end luxury retail but in terms of its actual sales, they've still got some way to go. And I think the company in particular is waiting for uh, its the well-heeled customers in China, a big market for Burberry, to, to sort of get back properly into the fold. Europe, European customers did, did perform quite well, though, over the Christmas period. Netflix, the streaming giant, it announced its CEO of 25 years, Reed Hastings, is going to be stepping down. It's facing some a tough future, really. The competition amongst streaming platforms like Disney and Amazon, etc., is pretty intense. So keeping that subscriber growth going is tough. Also, just keeping subscribers with the platform is pretty tough. That said, it it its performance has been quite good and all tolls shares have been performing pretty strong recently finally deliveroo the takeaway company now this space is struggling a little bit it was a pandemic winner it snapped back because part of where inflation has concentrated has been in food and this is beginning to put customers off so deliveroo said the orders were down two percent in the fourth quarter but that its profits were up because prices have been been rising ahead of that. You have to wonder though how long customers are going to stomach price rises in that in 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 takeaway food and just opt to to buy buying their own food from supermarkets. Okay, let's get on to our interview with Ross Maxwell. What a very warm welcome to all of our listeners and our viewers on YouTube as well. This is the Steps to Investing podcast and I'm Marcus De Silva. Today, we're going to have a chat with a very experienced trader who has his own firm teaching people how to trade. And we're going to get his expert view on all of the regional markets, you know, how they're looking, how they're performing. Because I think it's one of those things when you when it comes to selecting investments, and I think funds, other types of investments as well, they do have a focus on these different regions. And sometimes it can be a bit like, well, you know, which one do I go for? What's the points of comparison here, really? Um, so we're going to lift the lid a little bit on that 
and get Ross's view on where we are with markets, given they are constantly moving, constantly evolving. So from Key Zone Traders, I'd like to welcome to the pod, Ross Maxwell. How are you doing, Ross? Yeah, good. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Pleasure pleasure to be back again. Um, so yeah, all good. Keeping busy. Uh, markets, are, markets are keeping us busy. So yeah, all good. Thank you. All good. Of course, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Well, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to start with very briefly just on some basics. What's the difference between trading and investing? Um, I mean, I think fundamentally the, the 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 main basic difference is obviously like your holding times um, in terms of how long you hold the asset for. Investing, you're holding weeks to months to years even. Uh, your so your 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 horizon in terms of liquidating the position is a, is a, is a lot longer. On the trading uh, side of things, then you can hold for a matter. Some some traders will hold the position for a matter of minutes, up to sort of like a, a few days, a few sessions, or something like that. So there's obviously a big difference in the the holding times. Due to that, obviously, trading, therefore, is slightly uh, a riskier uh, type of investment trading, um, however way you want to want to look at it. You have to manage your risk differently. Um, the way that you view your risk will be slightly different as well. And then I think, obviously, going into a more, bit more of a, a, a deeper level as a trader, therefore, again, because your holding times are much shorter you are a little bit more dynamic you can you can remain a little bit more dynamic you're less prone to the wider implications of fundamental stuff that's going on around you so you can you can change your bias from uh, being uh, short or long so looking to, to either buy assets or sell assets depending on the overall picture in the market in 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 the much shorter space of time so as a, as a trader uh, myself, rather than I, I obviously have investments, but rather than uh, an investor as a trader, I even though we've been in one of the biggest bull runs that we've ever seen, that doesn't mean to say I've only been going long and only been buying assets. Like there's been periods during that time when I will have a, a bearish bias on the market and I'll be going short as well. So it just allows you to, to, to remain a little bit more dynamic and and have a little bit more flexibility in the markets and be less prone to some of the wider implications of stuff that's going on in the in the wider world. Okay, interesting. So would you say it's fair to say that it's a lot more around the fluctuations with markets and some of those more technical reasons why markets might fluctuate rather than looking too much in depth at the underlying companies and thinking about you know, how high quality they are or looking at some of those more core reasons as to why you might invest in those. This is more about much more short term movements in the market. Yeah, exactly. So you're not so like, yeah, I'm not analysing specific companies and like looking at their PE ratios and deciding their long term projections and stuff like that. And, and, in, and in some ways, as a trader, you have to you obviously have to be aware of the wider implications of what's going on geopolitically and, and in the markets in general and and the, the longer term prospects of individual assets shares markets but but ultimately you sometimes have to put that to the back of your head and actually just focus on the charts in front of you and as you say what you're actually what, what your job as a trader is is to take advantage of the fluctuation in price rather than some sort of longer term investment position or view on where a company may head or a, or a, a an index or a, or a forex pair or something like that so you're you're less inclined to to to, to look at the the wider implications and and more like you say trying to trying to um, take advantage of the fluctuation in price what kind of 
financial, I mean, there are many financial instruments out there, right? So what, what do you focus on? What do you trade in particular? Um, so my, my background is very much in the equity derivative space uh, and Forex. So um, I spent many years trading in, in London and Hong Kong. Uh, I was trading in South African equity derivatives at the times of futures and options, which are um, derivatives of the South African version of the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500 sort of thing. So that was where my experience was. And that sort of led into once I when, when I transitioned from working in the city to to actually becoming a, a, a full-time trader myself it was a very easy natural transition to 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 focus on similar types of products so i'm very much focused on indices um so i trade the FTSE 100 the dax which is the german version uh and then the s p 500 uh, and i do a little bit of forex as well which is sort of currency pairs um so i do i focus on the major currency pairs so it'll be crosses between you know GBP, US dollar, euros, yen, those sorts of those sorts of currency pairs. Nothing too exotic, just very much um, okay. the, the main the main ones. And that's interesting. So because you're trading big, broad, so effectively you're trading broad markets and you're looking at currencies and the way that currencies move, then it, is it fair to say that what influences those big, broad kind of instruments is quite big macro kind of forces so very top-down kind of um, elements are influencing how those those instruments will trade yeah exactly and and the other thing obviously is as well is different macroeconomic factors will influence different currency pairs and different assets completely differently so for example like you have minor like mining heavy currencies like the canadian dollar and like even even sterling to an extent with the, the, um, the FTSE 100 is quite um has quite a heavy mining sort of um, and the aussie dollar like they will be impacted a lot more by different geopolitical events than say something like a manufacturing heavy uh, currency like Germany or the DAX or something like that. So yeah, it, and, and again, that's why maybe as a trader, it's sometimes better to put all of that noise away because different factors can influence different asset classes and different instruments completely different. So if you can remove all of that noise and just focus on what the 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 I'm I'm what I call myself my a technical and uh, analyst analyst whereby I read the charts and the price movements and I, I determine what and make my decisions based on that rather than necessarily like um, a, an individual piece of fundamental news. I, I need to be aware of when those news releases come out. I need to be aware of what they're saying, but actually my decision making process probably needs to be slightly different to that of somebody who's looking to take a longer term investment on, 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 a, on a particular asset. Well, let's get on to the markets then and see how they're performing. I mean, very broadly, what would you say are the major driving factors that are pushing or pulling markets around at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been um, uh, an interesting couple of years. Obviously, we had COVID and the whole recovery, the furlough schemes, the money that was, was put into the markets, and obviously also um, the, the slowdowns in the economy due to the, the, the economy shutting down for, for short periods of time. Um, and there is still an element of that that we can see weighing on the markets, um, certainly when it comes to sort of inflationary issues and decision making over interest rate policies and, and things like that. You've got 
in Europe, you've got the energy crisis. You've obviously got the the war in Ukraine, uh, which one move there can then can can create a, a whole stream of different things and, and knock on effects that could have a, a wider implications. So there's obviously that little bit of nervousness there. But then you've also got obviously the inflationary issues, and then as I mentioned, the the different ways that the different uh, banks and central banks are using. The, the monetary policy to, to try and, 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 and control that inflation as well. I think those are the main factors that are, are driving driving the markets at the moment. All right, let's start with the US then. It's a very dominant market globally. Actually, when you look at all the shares in the world, uh, US shares represent about 70% of, of global shares. So no matter whether it's in favor, out of favor, it is always important. It's always an important part generally of people's portfolios. So... What's your view on the US market at the moment? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, as, as you sort of said when we were speaking last week, um, you, you mentioned that like the, the Apple itself is the size of the whole UK stock market. So that in itself sort of shows you the, the, the size of the beast that I guess that you're dealing with uh, in, with, with the American markets. Now, um, obviously, we with the sort of like inflationary issues, as, as mentioned, we've got um, they're, they're in a much better position to, to, to control the inflationary issues with monetary policy. We've already started to see that come into, in, into effect. And, you know, like um, I remember looking at the back end of last year, sort of like November, December time, I started to, to see signs that the, the equity markets especially were, were showing signs that the dip was, was, was over, like, you know, um, which surprised me. Um, don't get me wrong, like uh, my own opinion was that we was going to have a bit more of a protracted, deeper um, issues within the stock market. But it started to show signs that it was recovering. And, you know, the market was down 20% at one point from its all-time highs. Now, anything that you can get at a 20% discount is obviously good value to invest. And we're still, we're still 10% off the all-time highs in the American market. So, it's still very much um, undervalued compared to where we were um, or, or at the, where we were at the beginning of last year. We had the, the, the post-COVID driven demand, which was which which created a lot of the inflationary issues in, in America as well. So if that demand comes back once the, the monetary policy um, has worked in terms of the inflationary issues, then we're still looking at um, some good opportunity for growth in, in, in America. It's very much a their society and people's pensions are very much linked to the, the, the stock markets in America, which is why we obviously always see over a period of time that the, the, the stock markets increase in America. It's, be, it's just a, a natural phenomenon that has, has lasted decades. And I don't really see why that should be, be any different now. So yeah, I think obviously you're, like I say, you're 10% discount to the all-time highs currently. You've been as much as 20% down. So whenever you see those sorts of values, I think it's, uh, those value buyers, I think there's obviously, it, it can be attractive. Gosh, okay. So it's some interesting points you've made there still on a discount you said that it's very linked to their their pension markets their 401ks i suppose so there's a constant source of uh capital fuel that's always going into those markets from a from a sizable base of people as well so that's always going to keep it fired up you also mentioned as well that around uh the the responsiveness to monetary policy and by monetary policy we mean that of central banks it's different government policy fiscal uh monetary policy is from central banks so they're, they're really the levers of interest rates but also things like qe as well now you said it's a lot more responsive generally to monetary policy in terms of the inflationary issues that, that we're having at the moment why why is that 
Um, yeah, so basically because uh, certainly in America it's much more responsive because it's much more demand-driven. Uh, the inflationary issues have been much more demand-driven and product-driven, whereas obviously in, in Europe and the UK, it's been uh, the, the inflationary issues are much more due to the energy uh, energy crisis and um, the increase in energy bills and stuff like that. Well, that that's that's been much a much bigger factor in terms of the inflationary issues in the UK and, and, and Europe. Um, which is you're less able to control those inflationary issues with monetary policy. So the the obviously the product demand driven um, inflationary issues can can be controlled by increasing interest rates and putting that putting the pressure uh, re- reducing the pressure on inflation that way. So it's much more responsive. So you can sort of you can drive inflation if you've got lots of people wanting to buy something. There's a big bun fight basically for a particular product. So that can sort of drive price rises or you can have supply issues. You know, there's a restriction somewhere along the line, which we saw with COVID. But in in the case of Europe in particular at the moment, it's also energy and some commodities. The rises there have been pushing inflation from a supply point of view. And that's much harder to deal with with the levers of, of interest rates than in America, where it's really just consumers going mad for some products. And we can, we can definitely dampen that activity by using interest rates, by taking away some of their cash, basically. That's what you're sort of saying there. Yeah, exactly. Like it's uh, it's that whole supply or demand driven economy, isn't it? If you're if you're buying something, especially if you're buying things on credit, if all of a sudden you make it more expensive to get that credit, then you're going to buy less products. So the demand is going to decrease. So it's it's that sort of uh, that sort of scenario in in, in the um, in in America, whereby those those increasing of interest rates can 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 suppress demand. All right. Next, I just wanted to hop hop over the pond to Europe. Then, so I mean, this has been a pretty poor performer really you know war has tragically come to its door about a year ago with the terrible invasion russia's invasion of ukraine so how is how is this looking right now yeah i mean look obviously i think that you you said it exactly there the the war in in ukraine it's um war within europe it's war on our doorstep for the first time in a generation so just naturally it's going to create um a much more much more volatility more uncertainness around the markets obviously uh, the the european union had high uh, dependency on sort of russian energy and stuff like that as well The, the sanctions that they're putting on on russia is is going to have an effect on themselves not just on russia there's going to be that that sort of impact as well and obviously one 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 slight misstep in in that war in ukraine as well can um can can have bigger knock-on effects. So there's a, it's it's a much more fine margin. The risks are, 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 are of escalation there, and then the, the 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 like overlaying into the the the, the European economies is much higher. So I think that's probably why you've seen sort of like a little bit more weakness. With with that being said, though, obviously you've got somewhere uh, like the DAX that's still that's still at sort of like a ten percent discount. It's all-time highs um so there are there are still value opportunities there especially as a uh, like a, a manufacturing heavy sort of um uh, market but maybe maybe not maybe the, the risks are slightly higher because we've got the uh, obviously the, the war right on the doorstep and and, and those issues with with russia mm, yeah and sort of you know germany's links with russia as well and and there's a lot of um, geopolitical debate going on as they're trying to sort of slightly remove themselves from their orbit right and as a market generally i mean the german the dax is it quite a strong market is it is it a market that that does quite well over time 
Uh, yeah, again, it's another one that sort of generally generally increases in value over time. Um, like I say, it is a ten percent discount at the moment to sort of it all, its all time highs. It can be quite it can be quite a volatile market. It's sort of very much like uh, the Dow Jones, which can which can have quite big uh, price movements and stuff, and it can be very sensitive. Again, I mean, it's it's made up of forty. It it's, it used to be made up of thirty constituents. It's now only made up of forty constituents, so it can be very much more volatile to to. to to, to, to price movements within the, within individual companies, uh, which makes it more sensitive. But yeah, I think that obviously you've got a lot of uh, rhetoric coming from from the Russians and from the European Union and stuff around consequences of actions and and things like that, which obviously which obviously weighs. And like I say, it, I think over time the DAX is a very it's a very good performing market. It can offer value, and it's it's ten percent discounted to its all time highs at the moment. But just because of those those issues on the doorstep with Russia, obviously, the German, Germany was very heavily dependent on Russian energy and stuff. And it's, it's trying to move away from that a little bit. But that, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. Um, so you've got these sorts of issues, which can which is a lot more sensitive to at the moment. Let's hop across the channel. I mean, the UK is, you know, I think it's fair to say it's influenced by a lot of the similar things that Europe are influenced. They're very tightly knitted together. But there are also some differences there as well so how would you sort of describe the uk market yeah i mean look the the, the FTSE 100 for everything that we've sort of sit there and saying around the inflationary issues and the potential for recessions and you know all of these issues around and i mean let's let's consider ourselves we are still part of europe even though we're not part of the european union like so war is on our doorstep we've still re, we still um, have a lot of these geopolitical issues and the, the, the energy crisis issues and stuff. But, you know, the, the FTSE 100 is um, is performing very strongly. It, it, it didn't recover from the COVID uh, issues as quickly as, say, something like the, the American markets, which, which went to the moon, basically, and, and some of the, the, the European markets. But in this period, it's performed very strongly. It's actually only, uh, well, last week, it was only sort of 50 points, which is less than 1% off of its all-time highs now obviously not to take it back to the brexit debate or anything like that but you know the we we have some other uh factors at play when it comes to the FTSE 100 whereby devalued um currency uh, makes the FTSE 100 more attractive to foreign investors because all of a sudden they're getting it discounted in 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 their local currency. So, for example, for uh, US dollar investors into the British economy, they they can get it a lot cheaper because the pound's devalued. So we saw that when when Brexit happened, the markets came off, but actually the FTSE 100 rose on the back of that because all of a sudden the the, the stock markets was a lot cheaper to foreign investors and we had that big issue around you know the um mini budget and everything that where we trustonomics yeah exactly where we saw where we saw the, the pound crumble overnight and get to sort of like levels not seen since the 80s um that all of a sudden that, that can have a, a an impact on on the FTSE 100 as well so um the, the FTSE 100 oh since brexit and over the last sort of six seven years has been a little more, a little bit more sensitive and reactive to currency fluctuations, um, and that, that can that can explain uh, some of it. But yeah, it's still it's still a fairly strong performing market. It's still quite close to its its highs. It's very much a mining heavy sort of uh, um, an oil heavy sort of uh, index where which which had performed fairly well. So yeah, there's still some there's still some value there. I think as well.
because mm. it has these big international companies in the FTSE 100 whom I'm going to use a 70% figure again but it is it is similar they've got 70% of their earnings are overseas so actually when you get a week when you get a week pound then you often get a boost to the FTSE so because it's because uh, you're getting a, a currency tailwind there effectively so and we and we and it's been out of favor for quite a long time since Brexit uh, Trustonomics and the moron premium that was placed upon UK shares uh, was not helpful, but it, so it means there's plenty of value still there. Basically, you think it's 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 quite an interesting one, and also dividends, I suppose, as well. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it um, the the FTSE is very attractive to investors as well because of um, the the dividends that it pays. So um, that's always that's that's historically always been a, 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 an attractive factor and a, a component of the FTSE 100, which makes it attractive. I mean, again, it comes back to this whole thing that if the if the the markets have priced in all of the sort of like the, the inflationary issues and uh, the war, a protracted war between Russia and Ukraine, albeit as long as there's no escalation or anything like that and all of the other issues that with the geopolitical and, and issues that we, we we've experienced over the last few years if they've priced all of that in and we don't get any more surprises then you know th this recession or this this downturn may not be as protracted or as as painful as certainly myself felt six months ago and, and many others predicted and and i think that just globally that can that that can um that can offer a lot of opportunities like i say there's there's there has to be some caveats to this in terms of like we there, there could be something else around the corner which will will, will impact but currently what i'm seeing in terms of certainly from a technical point of view the markets are are showing signs that you know there's there's still some good value there okay finally let's let's shoot all the way over east and go to asia uh you know i think the big news there is that china has, has finally started to relax some of these very draconian covid restrictions that they've had there how what what, do, what is your view of those markets yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't personally have so much exposure to the Asian markets myself. I don't, I don't trade them. Obviously, different time zones and stuff like that. So obviously, you know, they're they're already talking about demand for oil and stuff now coming from now that oil, uh, that, that China has opened up again. You're also going to have we know from the the, the way that Europe and America came out of COVID, the impact that that had on the economy. So obviously, that could have similar impacts over there in China. Again in terms of it's a very different political space over there so you know with the surge of infections how the government over there decides to react again is anyone's guess which obviously offers its own dangers and stuff like that but i think obviously as long as that is the case and they are going to remove these draconian uh, and almost let the economy open up again it's going to it's going to offer even more opportunities again out there like you, you're going to have the the, the re-emergence of tourism and stuff like that see how the, that, that's obviously been massively affected um over the last sort of two three years uh, manufacturing will uh will, will will start start progressing i mean i personally um i experienced the, the delays from oh, a, a volvo lease uh, xc60 uh, sort of 18 months ago but that was put back three to six months because of the issues of parts and stuff coming in from China because of everything was going uh, that was going on over there. So all of these things now should start hopefully becoming back to a bit more normality and that obviously will 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 ease things and 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 hopefully offer opportunities as well. Okay, finally, just wondered if you had any thoughts on cryptocurrencies. I mean, we've seen 
uh, a lot of volatility in in crypto markets but even you know that considered you would have you would have made an insane amount of money in the past 10 years what are your thoughts towards it yeah i mean look i as i say i um i have my 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 concerns with uh, with cryptocurrencies probably comes from uh, a little bit of ignorance i guess in a way in terms of like you know as i said my experience is very much from the the equity derivatives and forex background. Um, so I started trading the financial markets before Bitcoin was even known about. So that was where my area of expertise is. That's what I know. And that's what I understand. Um, certain things around cryptocurrencies still concern me, which is why I don't trade it. I I steer clear of it. I see, I can see its position in terms of uh, making up a part, maybe a risky part of your portfolio or something like that. I, I understand. I have. A lot of people that I respect very highly who talk a lot more positively about cryptocurrencies, I would say, than I do. I mean, I guess, look, there's we, we've seen obviously a massive fall on on Bitcoin and, and, and cryptocurrencies in general. I think the from the highs to, to where they are now, you're talking sort of what's 60, 70 percent falls in, 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 in cryptocurrency. We're seeing we're seeing a, a, a bit of a, a relief rally at the moment, but that also doesn't mean to sit there and say that Bitcoin is now on this next bull run very, very much far, far, far from that, you know, as I sort of sat there and alluded to earlier on, just because you're in a, a, a in a, a bull market doesn't mean to say that there won't be times where um, you can be bearish on an asset class or an instrument. And the same as, as Bitcoin is at the moment, just because we're showing some, some relief rallies doesn't mean to say we should all of a sudden turn very bullish on it. Those, there was a big sell-off. There are still concerns around some of the cryptocurrency sort of exchanges and stuff like that, liquidity issues. So, yeah, I think for me, there's too many questions still unanswered on cryptocurrencies uh, and Bitcoin in general. But I think, yeah, we can we can certainly see. I actually, I, I do, I run a free weekly newsletter and I actually analyze coin for that just from a technical point of view. I don't look at any fundamentals, just from a technical point of view, use my technical skills to, to, to analyze that. And we sort of like, I, I think we can quite easily see a move back to sort of the 30,000 area, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're then not going to go to 10,000. You know, it, it's, it's still very much a bit of an unknown for me with cryptocurrency. And again, I mean, one of my biggest issues, one of the things that I sort of always sit there and say when people ask me about cryptocurrency and why I don't actually trade it, my, my thing is, is you know something that can uh, be a, have a forty percent swing on the back of an Elon Musk tweet is something that you know you have to be aware of the risks that are involved in in, in that in that uh, asset and that's not something that I want to open myself up to. So I think if if you're going to trade cryptocurrency, you need to have a, a firm understanding of of how to manage that risk whilst you're investing or trading in it. On that note, Ross Maxwell, thanks very much. Thank you very much, Marcus. Well, a very big thank you once again to Ross Maxwell from Keyzone Traders. Always interesting to get a trader's perspective of the markets. I mean, they're buried in it day to day. They're really at the at the front end of, of what's going on in markets. So uh, always, always interesting. If you've got any questions about any of that, then please don't hesitate to drop me a line or indeed for Ross and I can I can pass those on. Uh, there's plenty of material if you're wanting to learn more about investing please go to the website stepstoinvesting.com of course there's my blog there and all the podcasts go up there as well next 
time around in a fortnight, we've got Ryan Hughes. He's a very senior person at AJ Bell, and he's been buried in selecting funds for many decades. So he really knows his stuff. He knows his managers, and he's going to come on and give us a few of his, his favourites from from his long history there of selecting funds. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.